Welcome to another episode of the CG Show. With me today, two amazing ladies taking on the buyer's advocacy world, Emily Wallace and Kobe Clark Jacobs. Ladies, you've both come in to an industry with no prior experience in real estate, so I want to really delve into why you've chosen to get into buyer's advocacy over real estate, because it's not that big of a market, and I really just want people to understand what exactly is a buyer's advocate. So, Emily, I know you purchased the property at 23 years of age, and I'm sure that gave you a little bit of experience. And just, yeah, maybe give us a bit of an introduction about what is a buyer's advocate and what made you ladies choose to go down that path? Certainly. So I started the business two and a half years ago, and you're exactly right. It's very niche. Not many people know about it. And that's actually the reason why I started it, to be honest, because there were a lot of sales agents in the market. Everyone knows what a real estate agent is. Buyers are underrepresented in the market and they don't have someone to hold their hand through the process. Um, but more to the point, I educated myself about the US market where mm-hmm. you know 98% of people mm-hmm. have an advocate with them buying a property. And if that's the US, Aussie people usually follow suit. Yeah, um, so I want to get in... <laughs> before it became too big and it was, you know, too hard to make waves in the industry. So that's why I got got into it in the first instance and to help, you know, people level the playing field on the buying side. Um, and Kobe jumped on board with me about six months ago. Yeah, um, what was your reason for jumping in? Well, I was at university the last few years. I was actually in the health science sector studying osteo and chiropractics. I just wasn't loving it. Uh, like I... I liked the human body and everything related to it, but I just couldn't see myself studying it for longer and then working in it. Um, But whilst I was at uni, I have been working for a thermal energy assessor, so the Nathas rating. So I've always had something to do with homes and I love doing that and I still do that on the side for working (laughs) with Emily. And it got to last year and I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do with myself? I didn't want to go back to uni and I, I wanted to work and travel and do all these fun things. And I saw Emily's ad and I thought, oh my God, that is so me. I get to look Sounds at houses, cool. yeah. <laughs> get to talk to people, have a really good time. So yeah. How are you, how are you ladies finding, for example, people responding to buyer's advocates? So, you know, there's the internet where anyone can jump on realestate.com and, and have a look at, to see what's available and they can contact the agents. So why, why is there a need for you ladies? Why are they calling you? It's a common question. I mean, anyone is allowed to and can find and buy their own property, um, but they're missing a large portion of the market and that's the off-market sector. Um, so Kobe's you know, primary role in the business is to find off-market opportunities. She's, her role being agent liaison is to liaise with the agents, find out what we're not seeing online. Um, but more to the point, people transact property maybe two or three times in their lifetime. We do this pretty much every week of the year. Mm-hmm. So knowing what to look out for, knowing what mistakes to avoid, um, knowing what a value of a property is at that point in time is probably the common reasons that people engage us. Um, but at the moment, you know, we're recording in February 2021, hot market, undersupply, mm. um, off-market deals. We've only bought one property on market this year. Everything wow. else has been off-market. That's insane. Are you finding real estate agents attending to just throw you ladies the properties just and they'd rather get it done off market even yeah. even even the vendors how are they how are you finding they're responding with would the, are they preferring to go down the off market route as well or is it just they're happy they're getting their price and and they're happy 
It's a bit of both, really. Some people have seen, like, taking something to an auction will go crazy, go bananas with everyone. But the few off-markets that we have purchased, the vendors just don't have the time or they just want to get it over and done with. Mm. We bought one that was a 30-day settlement. She wanted it really quick and so did our clients. So that worked well for us. Uh, We just bought some this week as well, which they just wanted them gone, really. And it was easy for us to get through and... We can go anytime, any day. Our clients love that too. Mm. Yeah. Different reasons. I think um, also when there's an investor with tenants in the mix mm. and it's not presented for sale, um, we can see past that and most buyers can't because, you know, they're looking at the service level stuff. So that can be a good way around it. Um, but also the one we just bought in Thornbury, that uh, family had a little one-year-old, you know, mm. and trying to do open for inspections for four weeks for a campaign, trying to work around nap times and feeding and all the rest of it. It's just not ideal. They got the price that they wanted and they took it. And so, they were happy. Yeah. How are you How are you ladies even finding it dealing with real estate agents? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that you got ladies, you know, being on the other end, it's... Um, yeah, a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, um, Kobe can probably speak to it. I mean, I've dealt with them, you know, since I started the business. Um, overall, I find they're very receptive to us because mm. the reputation we have, and that is that we don't mess around. We're not mm-hmm. low-balling. We mm. understand the market, and we're there to help them succeed as well as us. Um, but Kobe can probably speak to the day-to-day she speaks with them all the time yeah <laughs> um i think agents find us i don't want to say this wrong like quite convenient yeah. we've got buyers they're ready to buy so yeah. they're more than happy to call and be like hey have you got anyone for this or vice versa i call and be like hey i've got clients that want to buy in your area um We've just had, we've only had one instance where an agent hasn't been too happy with a buyer's advocate and they were, it was a bit like, what's the best way to say Protective, it? I would say. Yes. If it's the one I'm thinking of. Yes. Um, <laughs> without naming names, very protective yeah. of the property and not quite understanding. I think that the issue is some advocates do buying and selling. Yes. And so if they do vendor advocacy, which is where, you know, you're part of the sale transaction, an advocate, sorry, an agent won't want to give an address away in case it's handballed to someone else. Fair play. So we've got to be aware and navigate that. Mm. Um, But that's, I mean, one incident out of, you know, the hundreds of agents that we speak to, it's pretty good. And in regards to, for people that don't understand, how... How do you guys get paid? So how does that work? And you know, if, if I was a buyer wanting to, you know, get your services, how yep. does it all work? Because in America, the vendor pays the seller and the vendor pays the buyer. But mm. in this instance, it's very different and probably a bit more equal and fair. So we're engaged by the buyer and solely by the buyer. We're not incentivized by any agent. We don't share commissions with agents. Mm-hmm. We don't. Um, we're not. You know led to one agency over another, we're very equal um, and independent. And so the buyer pays us. Our model is a fixed fee model. There are some models out there that are percentage of purchase price, very similar to a sales agent, around 2%. Um, But we're a fixed fee, so we have a retainer, which engages our services. It's about one third of the overall cost, and then two thirds is payable upon successful purchase. So it's a pretty good split. Um, and that retainer is there because we have to do a lot of groundwork before we can even see a success in it. Um, so we're retained for our time. Buyers, are they 
getting their heads around having to pay to find um, find a property or do you find some uh, they, they, they scoff at the prices or what's the general <laughs> feedback? How is the Australian public responding to buyers advocates at the moment? Interesting. So I do a lot with, the, I'm, I'm client facing, so I onboard the clients and talk through that process of, of the um, fee structure. The feedback I get is either we can't afford it because it takes it out of our deposit. Mm. Um, and that's a lot of first home buyers who have saved every penny and it does. It eats yeah. into their deposit. That's fine. I understand it's not affordable. That's fine. Um, on the flip side, though, you get the people who go, okay, for you know somewhere between 12 to 15 grand and I'm looking at spending maybe a million dollars, do you think you could save me that in getting an off market? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes, because we're eliminating competition. And not only that, we're saving you a bucket load of time of having to go out. We video every property. Kobe goes through first round inspections, videos mm-hmm. them all. We qualify them. We have intel that they don't have. And also your the value proposition is our experience and the fact that this is literally our profession. Mm-hmm. So um, some people know it's out of the question for them and I respect that. I get it. Uh, but there's plenty of people who have come through us and I have not had one person say... I don't see the value in your fee or I regret paying your fee. Mm. You know, everyone's like, it was worth every cent. We couldn't have actually got this result without you. Well, at the end of the day, you know, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, you know, for, if you buy the wrong property, it's going to cost you more in the long run anyway. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, and in a sense, do you, are you seeing it's buyers advocates are being used in the higher end of the market or is, is it Melbourne wide? Um, how are you seeing that? I know obviously first-home buyers, they're everywhere, but is it, mm. is it Melbourne-wide, your services, and how, is it more receptive in the, in the higher end of the market, I should say? We think about the clients we've got on now. At the moment, we've kind of got, what, probably a median of a million dollars. Mm, yeah. Is our average? Yeah. Um, million dollars is probably a pretty standard budget these days, yeah. right, for a first-family <laughs> home, as <laughs> drastic as that sounds. Yeah. In terms of service area, um, we when I initially started, very heavy southeast Bayside. I used to just only buy in that corridor. At the moment, we're doing a lot in the inner north. Mm. Um, that's just where it's trended. In fact, we've got four clients who are all in that pocket. And we kind of run with the tide in terms of we're not area bound like a sales agent. Um, we are very lucky we have contacts across all of Melbourne. Mm. We're pretty much north. East, southeast, Bayside, we don't really touch the West. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And in regards to what, what's, what would be the percentage you'd say of people using buyers advocates in the moment and what do you even predict? How's it going to play out within the next five to ten years? So it's about less I know than I'm getting technical <laughs> here, <laughs> no, no, right? <laughs> no, no, no. It's about less than 4%. Yeah. My prediction is it's – you look at the mortgage broking space, right? Mortgage brokers 15 years ago were like, what's a mortgage broker? People didn't know. They just went to the bank. And so you look at their loan percentage. People going through a mortgage broker at 60% of people going through a broker. Mm. And that's taken a bit of momentum. I see advocates going down the same path. I don't think we're going to get to 60% in 10 years. I would say potentially 20% of the market. Wow. Um, you know, that growth is is there and there's more advocates coming in to the market. So the more people that use an advocate, more people that talk about it, more people know about it, 
the more that people will will start to see it as the norm. Mm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Even during lockdown, I was um, I was weighing up going down that path, adding it into my real estate business. So mm. I was uh, I was asking you ladies a few questions about it <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. So it's um it's really interesting. I think there is a massive there's a massive market for it. Definitely on hold. I got too much going on. I, <laughs> I can't put my head into that at the moment, but it really piqued my curiosity because I, I do see it as it, it is really growing like people didn't really know what a buyer's advocate was and they mm. still don't really know what a buyer's yeah. advocate was. Well, we're here just trying to tell everybody what, what, what you ladies do. Um, so, yeah, I definitely say I, I think it'd be more than 20%. Yeah. Um, that's my personal opinion. Yeah. Um, people, as we keep moving, you know, can, they want convenience. They don't have time. Yeah. And looking for a property can take a lot of time. Um, so I think generally, yeah, it, you, you've started well and you ladies are in a good place. Um, mm. Let's go into... Emily, you started this business with no prior experience working for anybody else or anything like that. Why? Why did you just say, you know what, I'm jumping in the ring and whatever happens, happens. We'll figure it out. Literally. So I actually called around um, some notable advocate groups and asked if someone would take me on. And everyone's response was, you need two years before you can come and work for us. So they weren't, weren't willing to give me the experience. Mm-hmm. I didn't dig too deep. Like I got a few of those responses and I was like, you know what? This is a common theme here. Um, I may as well back myself and just jump into it. And I'm very glad that I have because number one, um, it's taught me a lot. Like literally quitting a very good salary in a corporate job that could have been very comfortable for you know many years to going down to no income and having to chase you know, business without being desperate um, teaches you a lot. Um, But number two, I've been able to leverage mentors from all over Australia, from all different, like I catch up with other advocates for lunch to talk about deals and um, I can pull on other people's strengths to create my own understanding of the market rather than being under someone else. Mm. So I'm really lucky, I think, in that respect. But um, look, if you told me how hard it was going to be in hindsight, probably would have reconsidered um, how much money I needed behind me, how much time I needed behind me. But I made it work because I didn't have a plan B. And I think you just have plan A and you make plan A work. I did dip probably 12 weeks into it. I actually um, started looking on Seek for jobs. Wow. I just wanted to prove that I, if I needed a job, I could get one. Um, And I landed three interviews and got offered two of the jobs. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) I'm employable. I'm fine. Yeah, you just want to see if you still got it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, but that was, that was self-doubt massively. Um, And, but I needed the comfort to know if, if it Mm. really went pear-shaped, could I go back into corporate? And Mm. the answer was yes. So I had that comfort there and, but I just pushed on. I think anyone that's potentially listening now, um, and they're in the same boat that you were two and a half years ago trying to weigh up. They're in their corporate job making $10 a week, living life really comfortably. Mm. What advice would you be giving somebody or, you know, just three three tips that, you know, what, what, what would you be telling them? Uh, I think number one, because a lot of people do call me who are thinking about doing advocacy and, and mm. quitting, and number one I'd say is just don't overthink it. Like people actually, people who do a lot of analysis on it probably won't actually do it because it's never going to be a good time to do it. Yeah. It's always mm. going to be something else that pops up mm. that in, in hinders you from going forward. So number one, don't overthink. Uh, number two, 
probably plan a little bit of cash flow. <laughs> uh, like expect <laughs> six months of nothing, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't, you know, go out with nothing behind you and be prepared to say no to things. Like in the first six months, the amount of dinners and things I said no to because it literally was like the money has to go into mm. the business. Like six months of, you know, not pain, but Definitely. not luxuries yeah. to then have growth in a business is really worth it. Um, and number three, I think be very mindful of who you listen to because a lot of people tell you you're crazy. A lot of people tell you you shouldn't be doing that. Maybe even friends and family will say, you know, are you sure about that? Um, but back yourself on it and don't mm-hmm. necessarily listen to other people because they're you're about to succeed on something and they're probably still stuck in their mundane Monday to Friday job. So, of course, they're going to tell you, you know, you probably shouldn't do that because that's not normal. <laughs> so, yeah. No, bloody oath. I think you've, you've literally nailed it at every point. Uh, people get a lot get sucked into listening to their friends, their family, their 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 partners, or their mm. their their best friends that are just all extremely comfortable and mundane, as you said, and yep. they they couldn't even think of anything like doing something like this. So it's just crazy for them. It's mm. their own. It's yeah. So I'd yeah, one hundred and ten percent. Even in regards to feeding the business. But it's so so many people they go out and they make ten dollars and they've just gone out and blown nine. You yeah. can't grow the business. You got to think of it. It's it's you've got to feed it. It's got to become fat. Yeah, you know, <laughs> just, that up. yeah, just keep <laughs> yeah. putting the money in and investing so it can grow. And yeah. then you know, once it gets to a point, that's when you can start, you know, buying Ferraris and, and living <laughs> the dream. <laughs> you, Kobe, obviously, how have you found the transition? Becoming a buyer's advocate, like what what did you expect it to be, and what actually is it like, <laughs> and and yeah, just how have you found that whole transition? Because that would have been very interesting for yourself, getting thrown into something new, and you're like, ooh, yeah. I'm swimming. <laughs> Are you trying to keep afloat? Like, <laughs> well, I actually said to Emily the other day, we're having coffee, and I said, I can't believe my job is I get to just go out and look at houses. I said, you probably laugh at me, but because Emily's like, I need to go do more. And I was like, how is that my job? Yeah. Like, it's pretty cool. I'm pushing her to go to more. I was like, please yeah. go to more. And she's like, but I get paid to that. I'm like, yeah. yes, you do. Go to more. So like, go more. <laughs> um, the transition was different too because Emily actually hired me two days before we went into that second lockdown. Mm -hmm. So that was put on hold for a little bit. And then I started at home and we didn't meet for a few months. We were talking about like Zoom and yeah. Yeah. So that was a different transition as well, learning online. But we did a lot of database stuff, which was really good, Mm. like knowledge to know before I was actually starting. (laughs) Um, It was really fun. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I had to talk to people and go out for coffees and look at houses (laughs) and talk to Emily. (laughs) It's a pretty cool job. Man, it's it's literally a perfect job. (laughs) It is. Yeah. I I can't complain about any of it at all. (laughs) That's crazy. And Emily, something that when you start a business, one thing that you need to learn is the art of leadership and managing Mm. people. What has that been like? It's interesting. I'm very lucky. Like Kobe is awesome at her role and understands her role and is, you know, pushing forward with ideas, you know, for the business, which is great. I actually came from a team leader role where I was, you know, 24 years old managing nine people across three states who were older than me. So that's a very different thing to then being um, one-to-one with someone in the business and sharing business ideas and Mm. how we're going to grow it and what we're going to do and having someone on board with that. So I don't really see myself as necessarily managing people, but definitely in a leadership role of 
we need to see this business grow. What mm. things can we bring into it and ideas to do that together? Mm. Um, I think I really want to keep it lean overall. I, I don't actually want a big, super big team. Um, I find joy in working with people that I really like um, and that being clients included, you know, um, I want to like the people I'm buying the <laughs> yeah. houses for. Um, if I, it, honestly, if I get a bad vibe from someone or I think they're going to be way too high maintenance, I, I just don't yeah, take them on. Yeah, it's worth it. Mm, yeah. Don't take them on. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, managing that aspect as well as, you know, managing people in general and also business to business partners, managing those relationships is a large part of the success of the business. So when something's not vibing right or someone's let me down, that's actually probably the hardest thing to manage Mm -hmm. is those relationships. Yeah, what do you find? Like what are some of the hardest things or traits in people that you find hard to manage or like what is that? Um, I think in the broad overarching real estate business. In everything. Yeah, so I think... Real estate related would be that um, people in it for the wrong reasons. Mm. Um, a lot of this is an industry where a lot of there's a lot of kickbacks, a lot of referrals, a lot of things that um, people referring to others just because there's incentive for that, not yeah. necessarily because it's the best fit. Yeah, I, I struggle with that really, yeah. and and blanket rule we don't take um, referral fees from third parties for that very reason. Yeah, um, but more so than that, I think on the buyer side, it's managing expectations and that with a moving market is very hard. Yeah. Talk to me about the market. <laughs> what is going on? Cause uh, I'm trying to figure out what's going on every day. It's just insane. I think this is probably the best market we've, we've probably ever had in our lifetime. Probably. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, it doesn't make sense. Property's hitting the market. They're flying out the door in a couple of days. Mm. Property is, um, very good. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, um, we're just trying to keep up with it. More like yeah. that's what we're trying to do right now is word up our clients to understand exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, in the very first meeting, and when something pops up, particularly when Kobe finds off markets, um, we need to act because this is the direction it's going. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, the market is insane. Why? Like, what's happening? I feel like there's there's not that much stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, good stock mm. that's hitting the market. Yes. How are you finding it even with real estate agents that you'd be getting real estate throwing your stuff left, right and centre? Mm. Is there a lot coming at you? And if there is a lot, is it well-priced or what, like what's what's happening? Good question. Mm. Uh, we're definitely getting a lot of off-markets, but sometimes, and I feel like there's just so many buyers that it's not relevant to either us or Mm. our clients. Um, But also some agents are just so overwhelmed because so many people want to move into that area or at a certain price point as well, like the under million dollar mark is just Mm. really, really, really crazy. Um, Yeah. I would say that um, it's, it's a frenzy, particularly yeah mm. under the million dollar mark. Um, the quality of property is still there in the off markets though, yeah. but it's vendor expectation, which actually on the whole, vendor expectation has been pretty good. Mm-hmm. I've not come across too many that are well over where it should be. Uh, it's the buyer competition that's driving up the price, hands down. Mm. Um, and that's why we're seeing these results, you know. Even at the top end, like there's a lot of that 1.8 to 1.9 mark heading into the twos very easily. Yeah. Where, you know, three, six months ago, it would have been a 1.85. Now it's like a 2.2. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that's insane. crazy. Yeah. yeah. That's a big uh, jump. It's not where I expected to see the big gaps. 
but it is. How do you think it's going to play out within the next six months? Obviously, JobKeeper, JobSeeker ends next month, mm-hmm. so there'll be a lot of businesses that um, unfortunately are going to have to get rid of their staff. I believe, I know this is probably thrown out there, I think there are a fair few business, oh, there's been a lot that's been affected, but there's been a fair few that have been crying poor mm. and, you know, really taken, you know, really taken from the government yeah. and then they've already got, before that, they were in a great position to, to purchase anyway because the market was pretty strong then and then what, there was a lot of people, interest rates have dropped. So I, I think I, it does make a little bit of sense as to why the market is booming, but I don't really know. I, I'm a little bit, which I'm taking it day by day. I've just <laughs> given up trying to predict what's happening, but I don't really understand what, what might happen in the next six months because it's mm. there's so many factors. What are your predictions? I don't know. We're not going to hold you to it. I think, no, that's right. I've, I've, publicly, like, <laughs> I've publicly put out videos of what I think is going to happen. Um, and I think that June 30 deadline was quite big with the stamp duty concessions. Yes. Yeah. Uh, however, um, in reflection on the last two to three weeks, the million dollar mark on some properties that I thought it would be a benchmark, it's actually exceeded that. People are happy to bid yeah. beyond there. I went to an auction in, um, where was it? Reservoir on last Saturday. I saw that on your social media. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, eight eighty nine sixty or whatever it was, it stalled at a million and then it went to a million and ten. And I was like, okay, we're fine. We're over the hump. So... My prediction was we're going to see a lot of properties at the million even, but actually there's some people foregoing those concessions to now just get in and mm. it's not a benchmark as much as I thought it would be. Mm. When it first came in, it was really like hoed in on that million dollar mark and now it's kind of like actually mm. we're really you know happy to go past it. Um, generally speaking, I just don't think the stock levels will exceed the buyers. That's the bottom line. If it's it's Real estate is an equation of supply and demand. That's what underpins the market. Yeah. And our supply does not meet our demand. So therefore, regardless of job keeper, job seeker, government mm. grants, whatever, mm. supply doesn't equal demand. So that's the baseline. And that's what's just booming at the moment. <laughs> it's um, so you t- you touched on, uh, we or I touched on your social media, and I saw your post. Mm. So how has that been helping you, ladies, with business and? <laughs> Social media, you talk to me because uh, there's been a lot of people that have demonized it for years. Yep. COVID hit and everyone was like, oh, we actually need to start building a social media <laughs> presence here. Um, yeah, how has it helped your business? Just this morning, Kobe got an off market on Instagram. I did. Yeah. Yep. An agent messaged me and said, have you got a buyer for this? She'd never met her. Yeah, I've never heard of her actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just sent her a message. Um, it's crazy. People like... I've actually got to be careful where I post that I am because people have called, like I had a guy call me the other day and he said, oh, I've seen you've been out in the north heavily um, and I've watched that auction that you went to and I'm looking to buy there, Um, you know, can you take me on? And so it does, it highlights and it's just giving information, like the Mm. amount of people who reply to results and now I've put out this thing where I've got people reporting for me on Saturdays that send in screenshots. (laughs) Like it's so cool that people are happy to, do that and send it in because mm. I can't be everywhere. We can't be everywhere, yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. you know, on a Saturday. So to give us results and and be like mini property reporters, I'm loving it. Yeah. Like, it's great. <laughs> I'm excited for Saturdays and my inbox is just full of, of mm. things coming through. So social media has driven the business heavily. Um, a lot of people reference, oh, I follow you on Instagram. I've been following you for some time. Keeping in mind, only about 3% of your audience are ready to use your service at the time that you're posting, right? Which is a very small amount maybe Mm. even less so 
the consistency of it so that when they are ready, your front of mind should be the driver for you to continually post things that are relevant. It's just you're building brand. Yeah. Uh, I think, and that's where I feel a lot of real estate agents probably haven't, that's why they haven't been able to capitalize on social Mm. media because they put out a post and they're like, why aren't we getting a return on this? Why haven't we got a vendor calling us, giving us business? Where you're playing long game. You're putting your social presence out there to build your brand. So when, you know, for example, you've just put a post up of you at a property and it's around the corner from where someone lives mm. uh, or, well, yeah, well, where they want to live, for example. And yeah. they're like, oh, that's actually, it's perfect timing. They've seen you and that's where they'll contact you. So yeah. um, keep going. Like You ladies have been doing an amazing job um, and you're pretty heavy on LinkedIn. Uh why why LinkedIn and how have you found that um, with your business? So LinkedIn, I had used it as a tool when I was in recruitment previously. So I knew my way around the platform, but I'd never posted a video. I'd never really put a post up. I used it to find people. And um, it was basically like, you know, professional stalking really. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I taught myself LinkedIn very heavily. I used to spend like probably in the beginning, probably three hours on LinkedIn a day. Wow. Like I would just add every mortgage broker in Melbourne, every real estate agent. I just built a massive profile around it and then started posting video content because no one else in the industry was doing it. And then all of a sudden I went from, when I started the business, I had just over a thousand connections and I've now got just over 10,000. Wow. Um, just generated by content and people adding me. I'm, I don't outbound ad very often anymore. Um, it just comes in because people say like, I've been following your content, you know, mm-hmm. thinking about this, whether they're a B2B partner or they're an actual person looking to buy property or people who want to sell their house that don't want to go past an agent. That's actually a lot of what comes through my LinkedIn. Yeah. Wow. Hey, I'm thinking of selling my house. I saw you're out in Brunswick the other day. Would this be of interest to you? I don't want to sell through an agent. Wow. Yeah. What's, what's so the reason direct. people don't want to go through an agent? Oh, good yeah. <laughs> Where are these people? Yeah. Um, so some of them will just like one guy who contacted me off the back of one of our vlogs. He yeah. was like, if you've got the buyer, I'll sell it to you. But otherwise I'm just going to sit on it. So it's mm. kind of like a situational sell, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Um, other ones, they don't want to give away the commission. Yeah. yeah. Which To which I say, look, if, and particularly if they don't have a buyer, I say, look, your agent has got the database of buyers in the area. Like you need to enlist the help. And also you have to pay them until they sell your home yeah. anyway. Like, yeah. like I see the value of having an agent. If I was a seller, 100% I'd take an agent. Yeah. But, you know, it's that perception. Maybe they had a bad experience. Maybe someone's yeah. bad mouthed an agent. You know, maybe they, they put them in a box that puts them with a bad, you know, yeah. sort of smell or I don't, yeah. know. <laughs> I don't know it's just it's tricky but I advocate for agents just as much as agents advocate for me mm. um and I wouldn't try and sell a property myself I'm not a sales agent yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I got into buying and not selling yeah. so you never would you ever do a vendor advocacy no. absolutely not why a few reasons uh probably the the biggest reason as a vendor advocate to do your job properly, you should be interviewing three agents in the area and ultimately one gets the business. Great. One person gets the business, two people miss out. Next week, I've got a buyer in the area and I need to call through my agent list and I've just not given business to two people. What's the likelihood that they're going to give me something when I've actually just not chosen them? Although it's not personal, mm. they've just not gotten business from me yeah, and I pick someone true. else, that's right? That's true. That's number one, but more importantly than that, 
conflict of interest. Yeah. I'm a buyer's advocate. I work for buyers. I yeah. don't sell houses. Okay. That's that's basically what it comes down to. I wouldn't even try to sell a home or okay. even be part of that. It's just yeah. Would you ever would you ever look to adding on property management to your services? We only buy first and family homes. Yeah. So the investor market. There are plenty mm. of advocates who do do property management. Mm. Um but doesn't interest me at all because the market of what we buy is not there we'd actually have to go out and find investors who probably didn't buy through us to then build a rent roll um and yeah i mean property management oh i don't know how people do it like <laughs> <laughs> like i don't mean that in a bad way just being like it's a lot of work it is it's a lot of work and it it's is. a long term and yeah. tenants can be hard I'm a landlord. I know what it's like. You know, my tenants don't pay on time all the time and they want things fixed and they want this and that, which I'm happy to agree to. But it's high contact and mm. you can only really make a business out of it with volume. You know? It's true. Yeah. It's true. It's very hard. Um, extremely, extremely hard. It's probably, yeah, in comparison to, to selling or, for example, being a buyer's advocate, you can't go wrong. Mm. Property management, you get thrown spanners left, right and center. <laughs> it's... Um, yeah, extremely interesting. But let's go into dealing with buyers. Yeah. How how is that generally? <laughs> how do you find it, Kobe? <laughs> um, I love all our clients. Mm. I'll preface it with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but a lot at the moment, I think Emily said before, we are managing expectations. Mm. Like some people have this budget and they want four bedrooms and two bathrooms and two living rooms, but realistically. <laughs> They can afford a three-bedroom, yeah. one bathroom home. And I think, like Emily said too before, we do this every single day. They don't buy a house that often and they don't understand a lot of things surrounding the buying and the mm. process in general. And, yeah, it's interesting sometimes. Any buyer <laughs> funny stories? Any horror stories? Give us no, something. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say horror stories. Um, Something juicy. Some are very, I would say some are very high touch buyers. So like we're speaking to them daily and they need daily updates and I'm more than happy to give that. That's mm. why we're boutique. Um, an interesting one, we just, we actually just came from a pre-settlement from a very funny couple. They're hilarious. Yeah. Um, so they had their home in Blackrock for 32 years, lived in the same house and now they're downsizing to a two bedroom apartment in Port Melbourne. So like family home, yeah. four bed down <laughs> yeah. to, and just like they're throwing shade at each other over the downsizing and the, um, you know, the little quirks about each other, like just a long time married couple that are just hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, they're a fun experience, but for them, it's a big deal mm. to downsize to that and declutter. And every time we ask, you know, how's the decluttering going? Like they just chuckle at each other. Yeah. He, what did it, um, Steve said? He goes, Oh, it would have been better to set a bomb through the house than to declutter. <laughs> probably true like it's a lot of stuff 32 yeah. years of accumulation um so they've got someone in to help them actually to declutter yeah. properly and a stylist too no nice nice yeah yeah <laughs> but um i'm just trying to think i don't think there's been any horror stories um as such um there's been a lot of, of no's yeah, lots of no's. We do get a lot of no's. The, when you say the no's, the general no's why like what's um it's more like it doesn't tick a certain box and there's some things that people need to be flexible on. Mm. But yeah. interestingly enough, Kobe and I are both going through the process of our sourcing our own rentals at the moment. Yeah. Mm. Um, so we both choose to rent where we want to live. And um, 
we're very picky <laughs> and it's actually given us an insight as to yeah. like we're only committing to 12 month rental and we're like no 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 yeah. not close enough uh, too old yeah. and yeah. rentals you actually can't change anything with so yeah. it is a bit more pedantic right <laughs> but it gave us an insight as to why buyers do you know that like they have their heart set on certain things mm. and i can see why they'll stretch for certain things over another uh, and why they'll say no to things straight out because it just doesn't, it's not for them. So we have to have a level of empathy with that. Definitely. You know, it's the biggest purchase of their life. And even though we think it might be a good choice, sometimes it's not. And we just have to sit back and go, okay, it's all right. Even though we think it is, let's move on with the next one and just keep going. Yeah, it definitely is in- interesting. Like for myself, I'm I'm pretty easy. But my partner, like she was, yeah, like when we were looking for our place, and I was like, yeah, whatever, as long as it's as long as it's got a bedroom there, I think I'll be sweet. Have a little study nook, I'm sweet. But yeah, she she was, and I think at the end of the day, like you're living there, so mm. you need an outlet. Yeah, um, yeah. And you know, we see it all the time as real estate agents as well. You know, you take a buyer through four times, and then. F- just on that fourth time, the feeling wasn't there and you're just like, yeah. no! <laughs> <laughs> so, but at the end of the day, that's everyone's different and mm. it's what we deal with. It's why we love the game. But yep. uh, how, are you, how are you finding, obviously now jumping out of COVID, you were new in COVID. Yes. So for you, it was just like, oh, I'm learning here. <laughs> but for yourself, obviously, having a business and running through, how was that? There was no activity. And then, obviously, now we've bounced out pretty strong. Mm. Um, but, yeah, how was COVID? Uh, COVID was very dull. Um, I'm fortunate that I do have another side business where I teach LinkedIn training. So, I jumped straight into that yeah. without hesitation. I jumped into was, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, it was the time that people were happy to learn. I'm lucky I had that as a fallback position. Um, like Kobe mentioned earlier, we spent a lot of time on database to set us up for this sprint that we're yeah. now in. Um, and it took a bit of time to get momentum. I think probably in the last two weeks, we finally hit a spot where it's kind of like we're going to have one bought and one come in and keep it a mm. consistent level of clients um, still to a great service level but at a point where we're feeling like yeah we're busy now like this is good yeah. we like being busy um, but it's probably taken yeah till February to get to that point um, because December January most people wrote off a fair mm. bit um, and people were ready for Christmas and family time and yeah. they didn't want to think about houses <laughs> you know so yeah it took a bit to come out of COVID definitely um, but now it's just trying to – it taught us that, you know, you don't know what's coming. Mm. So it's definitely taught us to run with it when it does because real estate is a roller coaster and you will have sprints and then you have like the, our first week of Jan, I nearly took a holiday because I was like, <laughs> nothing's happening. Like I'm really bored. Yeah, yeah, you know? on holidays too. Yeah, they're yeah. all in service paradise. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to go there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you take – you take the relaxed weeks with mm. the hectic weeks mm. and it all evens out. But, um, yeah, it, there's definitely levels of sprinting that happens. For buyers that are looking to buy now, what's some advice that you can give them? If you love it, buy it. <laughs> Just go. Just do yeah. it. <laughs> like, oh. unfortunately, there's not a lot of time for thinking. And yeah. we don't want to rush anyone at all. But if your gut tells you it's a good buy and you probably should make a move on it, then... Maybe don't wait to get mum and dad through and grandparents through and, you know, your long lost sister through. Like just get <laughs> just, in there. Just do it. You're just living it. in it. Yeah. I think that's something where yeah, that's probably a pet peeve of mine when you take a buyer through and then they get the parents through mm. 
And then they love it, but the parents just hate it. And I'm sitting there like, you're not living there. <laughs> you're not living there. The, the son loves it. Yeah. Um, but I think that's just how it goes. Um, I think in regards to we'll, – we'll wrap this up, but mm. – Two, two last questions that I have. What's yep. the greatest advice that you ladies are being given? Ooh. And what is it? <laughs> um, an overarching one is learning to say no. That's, yeah. a, that's a big one. And that applies to everything in life. Mm-hmm. Like, it's okay to say no. Whether, you don't have to do everything. Yeah, yeah. you don't have to commit to everything. Mm. And by eliminating things that don't benefit you, you allow for more yeses. And whether that be like, you know, maybe you don't feel up to going to a baby shower on a Sunday because you've had a hectic week and you need to say no. Just say no. <laughs> like it's, all that really matters is your comfort levels and what makes you happy. So yeah, it might affect someone that might be upset that you didn't go, but don't be afraid to say it. Same applies in business. A bad client it's not good business, yeah. you know? So, yeah, I would say learning to say no and, and trusting that if it's a no, it's a no. Stick to your no. Yeah. <laughs> I like you- that. <laughs> um, not so much advice, but I was always told, and I, this took me a really long time, and I think I found it now, but have you heard of the Japanese term ikigai? No. About finding your, like, passion? No. Yeah, it's... There's like all these overarching things and it's how they all intertwine. It's something, you know, you have to do to survive, something you love, like your how, why. And there's a whole different thing, but like finding that. And I'm probably not even saying it right. I think it's called Ikigai. Mm. I-K-I-G-A-I. <laughs> <laughs> Japanese not good in Japanese. <laughs> uh, I went once. <laughs> it's really cool though. If you, yeah, look into yeah, that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to search that up. Mm. Hopefully you're right because it's on camera. <laughs> <laughs> a bit awkward. <laughs> <laughs> and ladies, what are you some goals for the next 12 months, for the future? Emily, where do you want to take this? If, if we had to go 10, 20 years down the track, <laughs> where are you ladies? What have we achieved? So for me personally in the business, um, the overarching word for this year is consistency because I've had two very turbulent years, one you know, with COVID straight through the middle of it. So... Um, trying to create consistency where across all aspects of business Mm. in the next 12 months, that being the level of clients we have through um, our service levels, you know, our energy and output is consistent. Um, Longer term, I really do want to make an impact on the industry as such um, at a level of helping other BAs to learn best practice um, and how to go about doing things the right way. Not saying that people do things the wrong way, but there is no real minimum standard in the industry um, or guide to mm. how to be a really good advocate. So long term, I would love to um, have training programs um, that help people enter it um, for the right reasons to do it the right way and you know put their own flair on it, but give them a, a yeah. benchmark. Uh, so that's probably longer term. And that in turn will help more buyers have a great experience of buying a home. Mm. So it's kind of that, like at the moment, we're probably more on an in and a surface level of helping our own buyers, but long-term to help other people be great at this. I'm not looking to franchise. I'm not looking to be the biggest. I just want to help other people grow their own little thing mm. um, and do well. So, all right. So when I when I start Collins Buyers Advocacy, I'm gonna, <laughs> Emily, I'm going to give you a give call. Give me a call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you, Kobe, how about yourself? 
Well, personally, I would like to buy something before I'm 25. So I've still got a few more years to get there, but that's a really big goal. Got a lot of saving to do still. I spent all my money traveling the last Come few on. years. <laughs> but I will get there. But at least you got some good experiences. Oh, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I'll know how to buy now. <laughs> um, maybe I'll be my own buyer's advocate Ooh. under Emily in a couple of years. We'll, we shall see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> so you're just kind of tagging as it comes. Oh, definitely. Oh, I've still nice. got a lot to learn. Yeah. I've learned so much already, but mm. still have a lot to learn as well. So the 12-month goal is learn something new every single day and get 1% yes. better every single day. Love that, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> that's a, that's amazing. And ladies, thank you so much for jumping on. Like, it's been an absolute pleasure. I think we've provided a lot of value. After watching this, everyone should know what a buyer's advocate is now. <laughs> so, so give you ladies a call and I'll obviously put your uh, Instagrams in the DMs as well. And um, yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for having us. Absolute pleasure to be on board.